Well, we are entering week number nine of our Heaven series. We'll probably be wrapping this up in the next week or so. And today we're going to look at something that is a, actually a precursor to heaven, what's going to happen just before heaven. Now, last week we looked at the new heavens and the new earth. This is what's going to happen right before there. When, the, when God burns up the existing earth back to its original foundation, he eliminates all death and decay, and he starts with a clean slate. But right prior to that is going to be what we're talking about today. Now, remember last week we touched on the timeline that leads up to this event. First thing that happens is the rapture. When you're looking forward to that. I mean, God's, it could be happened today. There's nothing that prophetically has to happen before God returns in the rapture. All of believers vanish from the earth. The great tribulation, that's the seven years right after the rapture. The Antichrist is revealed at that moment. The first three and a half years are relatively peaceful. Everyone likes to worship him. He thinks he's doing a good job. Halfway through that seven years, all hell breaks loose, and it becomes horrible to be alive. Then at the end of the tribulation, there is the war of Armageddon. It kind of culminates in this war, which at the very beginning of this war, before it even starts, is the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ. Now, remember, when the rapture happens, Jesus is in the air. When the second coming happens, Jesus steps foot on the earth. And at that moment, it's when he eliminates, he, he ends that war, he ends the war of Armageddon before it even starts, and he sets up what we're going to talk about today, the millennium, the thousand years of peace that's going to happen on the earth that happens prior to the new heavens and the new earth. Now, there's a lot of different theories out there about the millennium. There's three, the, mo the most popular three I'll just touch on a couple of them today. The first one is amillennial. How many have ever heard the term amillennial? If you know English, if you put the word, the letter A before something, it means not. You know, an atheist is something who doesn't believe is opposite of theist. Amillennial is just the opposite of millennial. And this teaches that there is no actual timed thousand years. It's just basically since the death of Christ, we have been living in the millennium. It's not a, it's a figurative of speech. It's not exactly a thousand years. And at the second coming, there's no rapture in the millennium. There's the second coming and the last judgment all happens at the same time. Now, the problem with that is the promises that are made to Israel in the Old Testament about their future grandeur, how God's going to restore them as a nation, all that would not happen if there were no millennium because that happens during the millennium. The second theory is the post-millennial. Again, it's a, it's a figurative of 1,000 years. It's not literal, and we're living in that right now. In other words, this is the millennium since Christ died. Um, and this belief says that the church is going to get more and more powerful, and the church is going to usher in more and more righteousness. The world's going to become better because the church and the gospel spread. Now, I don't think we see that happening, do you? <laughs> I think it's just the opposite. The church is having less and less influence on the world. A lot of folks uh, think that seeing the advances in, in science and technology and peace and health, it's not like the Middle Ages. I mean, it's a lot of good things going on today. But it's not, we are, as the Christians and as the church, we are not going to usher in the return of Christ. We're not going to make things better to the point where we can say, okay, we've perfected it, Christ, it's time to return. That's okay, not going to happen. That's post-millennial. Now, the one that we believe and the one we're going to talk about today is pre-millennial. 
And this actually teaches that the thousand years is a real timeline. It's not a figurative, it's not spiritual, it is exactly 1,000 years. So what happens during it, what happens before it, what happens right after it? Well, Revelation 20 verse 1 says this. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, the old serpent, the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked, so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Now, this is the end of the War of Armageddon. The enemy has all his enemies gathered up to fight. Christ comes down and ends that battle, and at this point, he binds the enemy, binds Satan, and throws him into the pit for a thousand years. And at that moment, there is no, no negative influence, no spiritual, no demonic influence in the world. Now, if you've been with us on Wednesday night, we were talking about the names and titles of Satan. One of those names is, and as I use it here, is dragon or serpent. And that literally means hideous monster or cruel and vicious monster. And if you know what was happening up to the point of the War of Armageddon, you'll know that it was a very vicious and cruel time for those who were around. If you, were, if you get saved during the tribulation, you are martyred. Your head is cut off or you're killed. Now, the thousand years is a time in which whoever is alive at that point now lives on this existing earth. Now, we as Christians will be raptured. We won't be here, right? But the people who are alive at that moment, at the war of Armageddon, and they're going to be Christians, they're going to be saved because the, the enemy is defeated at the war of Armageddon. God gets rid of all the negative folks at that moment. And the only people that are left are Christians. And, we, and they enter into that thousand years. And it's during those thousand years that we who are raptured are going to rule at that moment. So the, it, this all happens before God destroys the earth with fire and brings it back again. And it's also a time when the Old Testament prophecies about Israel are fulfilled. Isaiah 11 verse 6. It says, In that day the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard and the goat will be at peace. Calves and yearlings will be safe among lions and a little child will lead them all. The cattle will graze among bears, cubs and calves will lie down together, and lions will eat grass as the livestock do. Babies will crawl safely among poisonous snakes. Yes, a little child will put his hand into a nest of deadly snakes and pull it out unharmed. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. As the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with the people who know the Lord. So at this moment, the thousand years begins, the devil and the demons are bound in, in the pit, have no influence on us or on them. And the only people that are alive at this moment are people who came to know Christ during the time. Isaiah verse, or 9 verse 7 says, His ever-expanding peaceful government will never end. He will rule forever with fairness and justice from the throne of its ancestor David. So at this moment, he rules. In heaven, it's a different type of rule. There's no one to rule over. We'll all be in heaven. But at this moment, people are still on the earth. And people will still be people at this moment. So the question is, why, why do we need the thousand years? Why, do we just, why don't we just jump from the war of Armageddon into heaven? Well, because there are several things that happen during this thousand years. The first one is, this is the time that God's people are rewarded. We're rewarded here. Before we get to heaven, the rewards that we get are going to be dished out at this moment. Isaiah 40 verse 10 says, Yes, the Lord, sovereign Lord is coming in all of his glorious power. He will rule with awesome strength. 
See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. Matthew 16, 27, For I, the Son of Man, will come in the glory of my Father with his angels and will judge all people according to their deeds. Now notice both, both those verses say, at his coming. If we're in heaven, there's no Jesus coming. The second coming of Christ is when he's going to hand out the rewards. Christ comes to end the battle, step foot on the earth again, and at this moment, deals out his rewards. The second coming is when he does that. Part of our reward is to rule over the earth during those thousand years when Jesus says you're going to rule and reign with me, this is the time it's going to happen. Revelation 20 verse 4. Then I saw the thrones and the people sitting on them have been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls that who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus. This is the folks who were killed during the tribulation for the proclaiming of the word of God. And I saw the souls of those who had not worshipped the beast or his statue nor accepted his mark on their forehead or hands these are all people who are martyred. They came to life again and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. Now, remember, believers get raptured. The only people that are going to be there at this time are, are Christians. The rest of the dead will not come back to life until a thousand years had ended. And that's the unbelievers. That great white throne judgment happens at that time. Verse 6 says, Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them the second death holds no power. Remember what we said earlier in this series. Born once, die twice. Born twice, you die once. In other words, you're born physically, and that's the only thing that happens. You have two deaths. You physically die, and you spiritually die. The Bible says it's called the second death. If you're born again, you're born physically, and you're born spiritually, you only die once. Your physical body dies once. And verse 6 goes on and says they... Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power. We as believers have no, has no power over us. And those who are saved during this time, have no, death has no power over them. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. These are people who are martyred as well as all of us. 1 Corinthians 6.2 says, Don't you know that someday Christians are going to judge the world? Now, there's no judging going on in heaven. It's already been done. The believer's judgment, great white throne judgment's already been done. But at this moment, we are going to judge those who live in the world. So not only is it a time of rewarding for those who have served Christ, it's also a time of personal joy. Isaiah 9.3 says, You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice during the plunder. Isaiah 12, 1 and 3 says, In that day you will say, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. How many would like to have joy continually? You know, the Bible says we're supposed to have that, but how many wake up someday and not be joyful, right? You know, we, we say happy, happiness depends on happenings. Joy should be there all the time, but in the real world, there are times when we're not joyful. There are times when things go south for us, so we're not joyful. We should be, but we aren't. Now, I was doing a little research on this, and I found out something that kind of I didn't really get. Joy to the World, Christmas song, right? Do you know it's not originally a Christmas song? It is a song about the thousand years. Let me read the lyrics to you. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Was he king when he was here? 
No, he's king when he comes back. Let every heart prepare him room in heaven and nature sing. When he came the first time, he was a suffering servant. When he comes at the second coming, he is the king. The next verse goes on. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove. Did he rule anything when he was here the first time? No. He didn't make the nations do anything at that moment. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Did he reign when he was walking the earth? No. Let men their songs employ. Did he make the nations do anything? Did he, did he rule and reign or do anything? No. All those were written about the coming, the second coming of Christ. That is when joy is going to fill the earth. When there is no more temptation, no more sin, no more sickness, suffering, all that's gone during the millennium. Now there will be death. It will be rare, but there will be death during the millennium. And there will also be people that are born during the millennium. Leads us to kind of part C. The millennium, not only are we joyful, the millennium will show man's depraved nature. Now there's peace, right? No devil, no demons. There won't be judging in heaven, but during the thousand years, people will still be people. Those who are alive when it starts are saved. They're Christians. But, and all the rest are destroyed at the Battle of Armageddon. However, during the time that the thousand years is going on, people will be born during that time. And the people that are born during that time have never had to face a choice. They've never had to choose between good and evil because there is no evil during the thousand years. Now, you remember the three categories of sin. Who knows what they are? World, flesh, and the devil, right? Ephesians 2.2 says, You used to live just like the rest of the world, full of sin, which is flesh, obeying Satan, which is the devil, the mighty prince of the power of the air. The world is going to be at peace. The devil is going to be restrained. But people born during that time are still going to have their fleshly nature. Death will still exist. Sin will sometimes occur and will be possible because the folks that are born have not been, they're not saved. They're living under the, the umbrella of their parents and grandparents who are there who are saved. They have not received a new transformed body like we are going to have. And to prove it, God has to let the devil out of his jail. So people have the ability to choose. Revelation 20, verse 7. When the thousand years end, Satan will be let out of his prison. He will go about to deceive the nations from every corner of the earth, which are called Gog and Magog. He will gather them together for battle, a mighty host as numerous as sand along the shore. And as I saw them, I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people and the beloved city. So what's happening at this moment? The people who entered into the thousand years were Christians. The people who were born during that time have never had the opportunity to make a choice. And so God is gonna let the enemy out to offer them that choice because everyone has to choose. And the people that are born during that time, think about this, they are living in the most peaceful time in history. No sickness, really, no suffering, no pain. It's, it, there's no devil, there's no demons, nothing negative going on. 
And yet, at the first time that they're tempted, they automatically reject the goodness of God. Isaiah 19, verse 23 says, In that day, Egypt and Assyria will be connected by a highway. The Egyptians and Assyrians will move freely between their lands and they will worship the same God. And Israel will be their ally. The three will be together and all Israel will be a blessing to them. How many know we signed a peace treaty or someone signed a peace treaty? How many know it's not going to last? Right? Because there's never going to be peace in that area until the thousand years. So not only is there peace for me personally, there is peace throughout the world. And the people that are born during that time, they have only known peace. They've only known basically almost perfection when they're there. And yet, given the chance, given the first temptation, they automatically reject it. Look at Psalm 72, verse 7 says, May all the godly godly flourish during this reign. May there be abundant prosperity until the end of time. So not only is there peace, but there's prosperity. There's money flowing everywhere. And yet, the people still are wicked. Because when the devil's let out, what happens? A lot of people follow him. Revelation 20, verse 7, when the thousand years end and Satan, lets that out, Satan will be let out of his prison, he will go about to deceive the nations from every corner of the earth. Now, I was thinking about this as I was putting it together. They're living in perfect prosperity. Everything is perfect for them. They're peaceful. There's no wars going on. There's no fighting. There's, not, there's nothing. And yet, given the first opportunity, they reject it. And I thought, maybe this is kind of stretching a little bit, but I kind of think that's what we're seeing today. We live in a country that is blessed beyond measure. Compared to the rest of the world, we have been blessed beyond measure. I would think we were the, probably the most prosperous country, in the, most, the most free country in the world. Nothing, there's no wars coming on our soil. No one's ever, you know, other than 9-11 and Pearl Harbor, we've never really had a constant war like they have in Israel. You know, every day rockets are getting launched and people are getting killed and blown up. It's never happened here on a constant basis. And yet, we have people who have everything rejecting the goodness of God and wanting what the devil wants. When people look at, you know, I came across this theory, and you may accept it or not. I heard this, and I might subscribe to it, I'm not sure, but let me give you the theory. For those of us who are older, some of you have experienced World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Desert Storm. Other than that, we've not really had any conflicts. People who were alive during those times had to fight. You had the Great Depression. You had World War II. And you think we have rationing and stuff going on now? Look at history in World War II. You couldn't get anything. You couldn't even buy a car. They weren't making cars. But people during that time, they had to really struggle and fight. And they had a common cause. Same with, you know, Korea. 
Vietnam, we had a com- the United States had a common enemy. And we had to argue and fight. We were all combined against one, ex- except for the, the wars about Vietnam. But we were combined as a country. Desert Storm, when 9-11 happened, Desert Storm, we were all combined in that. Now we live in a really peaceful generation. And people growing up now have never experienced any of that. I, uh, when I teach the kids, I have to remember that they weren't even born on 9-11. And 9-11 for them is as far removed as the Civil War is from us. How often do we think of that? But when you, never, when you never have to coalesce and come together as a group for one thing, you find something to fight against. In the absence of uh, what's the word? unity against a common enemy, when there's something going on that everyone is focused on, if, that's, if none of that's going on, people are going to find something to fight against. And I think that's what happens in the millennium. Everything is so peaceful, they've never had a struggle for anything, they've been given everything. Well, that's not enough. I've got to find something to fight against. And that's what's happening now, I think, when people who think every other way of life is better than ours, despite all the evidence to the contrary. Not that we're perfect, obviously. I heard this, you've probably heard the sentence before that democracy is the worst type of government except for everything else. So at the end of the millennium, when everything's been handed them, they've had nothing but peace and and tranquility and prosperity. What excuse are they going to have for not following God when given the choice? because people's sinful nature rises up. Just like people will rise up when the devil's loosed after a thousand years, so people here who have everything sometimes still want to side with the devil who gives them nothing. So at the end of the thousand years, he goes and tempts every nation in Revelation 20. He will gather them together for battle, a mighty host as numerous as sand along the shore, And I saw them as they went up along the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people in the beloved city. So at the end of the year, end of the thousand years, the devil is set free. He tempts those who were born during that time and the ones who follow him now rebel and want to fight the Christians. We think the Armageddon battle is the last one, but it's not. This is the last one coming. And so they... All these folks who were tempted by the devil and he deceives them and they come against all the believers during that time and they're set up, they're ready to destroy them. But God intervenes in verse 20, verse 9. It says, but fire came from heaven down on the attacking armies and consumed them. Just before it's going to begin, God wipes them out. But the thousand years shows how sinful we are when we have everything handed to us and yet we side with the devil and temptation. Revelation 20 verse 10 says, Then the devil who betrayed them was thrown into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever. A thousand years is now over. 
The enemy's been defeated. He's been cast in the lake of fire. And now comes the great white throne judgment, the judgment for those who are still in the graves who do not believe. Revelation 20, 11 says, And I saw a great white throne, and I saw the ones who were sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, and they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the things written in the books, according to what they had done. This is what we talked about last week. If your name's in the book of life, you get into heaven. If you choose not to follow Christ, the Bible says that God is recording everything we do. And those are the other books they're talking about. And God says, okay, your name's not in the book of life. You want to do it your way. Let's open the books of your life and judge all the things you've ever done all of your life and see if you qualify for heaven. And the very first time that a sin is presented, guess what? Books are closed, you're out. Because the Bible says that sin cannot live in the presence of God. We as believers can't be in God's presence if we're sinners when we go to heaven. Verse 13 says, the sea gave up their dead in it, and death and the grave gave up the dead in them. They were all judged according to their deeds, what they did. There's there's one sin that keeps you out of heaven, right? Unbelief, the sin of unbelief. Every other sin follows after that. 14 says, and death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. And that's the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And we talked all the glories and the greatness of heaven. But there's also the other side of that coin. There's going to be a judgment day for people who don't know Christ. Now, as believers who are alive today, we won't be the ones who are in the tribulation. We won't be in the millennium except to rule and reign with Christ. And just like we mentioned last week that the beauty of earth is like a small toothpick sample of what heaven's going to be like, the millennium is yet another example, small example, of what heaven's going to be like. There's a saying that I've said many times that if you trust Christ, earth is the closest you're going to get to hell. If you don't know Christ, earth is the, only, is the closest thing you're going to get to heaven. Because once we're dead, the die's been cast. We've already made our choice, yes or no. Once you're dead, there's no second chances. You are either judged according to your deeds and then thrown into the lake of fire or you are judged according to what Christ has done for you and you get into heaven. I wrote down here, are we ready? Sean Connery died this week. Where's Lee? Lee, he was 90, okay. Sean Connery's 90. And Lee said to Paul, how'd he die? What happened? Paul said, he was 90. (laughs) That's how he died. (laughs) But you never 
You never know when your time's going to be. We talked about the preachers who died in the pulpit. We, talk, we know people who have died prematurely, or at least we think prematurely, from whatever. All the stuff that we, we share from the front is not meant to just store up information in your brain. How many know that? It's not just factual information. It's designed, and hopefully, to elicit a response from us. Now, next week, we're going to talk about what that response is supposed to be. Because if we just amass knowledge and have no change, am I in trouble? No? Okay. If we just continue to suck in knowledge and never do anything about it, the Bible says, hey, the demons believe in God. The demons know the Bible. That doesn't help them out. The Bible says if, if all we do is attain knowledge and it doesn't change it, the Bible says it's like looking in a mirror and not noticing any change in your life. All of this information we share about heaven should challenge us to not only be ready for it, but to make sure that everyone we know, as much as we can, that they are ready for it too. And I said this, I'll close with this. The only thing that we can't do in heaven is what? We can pray in heaven. We can worship in heaven. We'll know our Bible in heaven. But we can't bring anybody else with us once we're there. So the job that we have as Christians today is, is one. <laughs> to tell other people about Christ. To give us the boldness, to give us the opportunity. Part of me thinks that what's happening in the world today is God trying to get everyone's attention. And if it is, then I hope it works. And if that means, just like Assyria and Babylon, we have to go through the fire to get people's attention because that seems to be what it takes for people to really want to know. When things are going great, things are humming along, who needs God? But when things get tough and there's things that happen in your life that you can't control, negative things, you get a bad diagnosis. Y'all know Rush Limbaugh, right? He's terminal, I just heard he's terminal. And he's about my age, maybe a little bit older than me. So, no one, no one's guaranteed. I was talking to, where's Laura? Is she downstairs? Laura, as you know, she goes and helps older folks who can't help themselves, that's her job. And inevitably, that job, you know, that person will eventually pass away, because that's where they are in life. And she was telling me this morning that one of, her, one of her favorite people has been called into hospice. None of us get out of this life. But we have to make sure that we make the best of it. Not only to enjoy what God's given us, but to make sure others know as well. Because I think we'll be judged according to that as well. The Bible says in Ezekiel, God tells Ezekiel, you tell the people. If they don't listen, it's their fault. You don't tell them, it's your fault. 
So we all have a job to do. How many people do we know in our families and friends that don't know Christ? Maybe this is the time that we need to get a little bit bolder. Pray that God gives us a divine appointment, an open window. And we don't, and not to beat them over the head, but the Bible says our conversation should be seasoned with salt. In other words, talk to them like you were talking to another Christian. Throw in aspects of the Bible. Throw in what the Bible says. Don't beat them up with it, but allow it to let them know that it's really a part of your life. At the Bible Museum yesterday, I, I, got, I bought a video that we're going to show maybe eventually. It's a little bunch of vignettes. But everyone talks about how the Bible came to be and how we can trust it and all that kind of stuff and how many people suffered and were martyred because of just trying to get the Bible in print. We have everything. You, sorry, Judy. You can't swing a dead cat and not find a Bible. But there's Bibles everywhere. I got 20 Bibles in my office. There's Bibles in every store. There's no reason why we can't know God's word and use it to talk to people about Christ. Would you stand as we close this morning? Would you close your eyes for a moment? Every time we talk about God's word and we talk about salvation, there comes a point where you have to actually ask folks if they know Christ. If you're in sales, you know the number one thing is ask for the order. Ask for it. No one's going to say yes unless you ask them. So maybe you're here this morning and you've never really accepted Christ. You've never asked him to forgive you of your sins. You've never asked him for a clean slate so you can be right with God. Well, today's that day. The Bible says today's a day of salvation, not tomorrow, not next week, today. Because no one's guaranteed tomorrow, next week, next month. If you want to be sure that you're going to wind up in heaven, the place of perfection, as opposed to the place of eternal torment, this is the time to do that. You've never accepted Christ, but you want to do that today. I want you to raise your hand right now. If you're at home watching, same question is posed to you. If you've never accepted Christ and you really want to do that, you want to have your sins forgiven, you want to be in a right relationship with God, this message is for you. God is tugging at your heartstrings so you make a decision. Just like the people in the millennium have to make a choice, so you have to make a choice. Yes, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. Yes, Jesus, I believe that you died to forgive me of my sins, and I believe that you rose on the third day to fulfill what God had promised through his word, and that you're alive today. That's all you gotta believe, it's simple. Let me pray with you and then I'll pray to close our service here. Father, I pray for those that are watching today that may have raised their hand, who really want to know you in a personal way. They may have heard about you. They may know a lot of things that have been taught, but they don't know you personally. And the Bible says we can have a personal relationship with God. 
Bible says these things are written that you may know you have eternal life. So I pray for the folks that are maybe watching this video now. That God, they want to make their lives right with you. I pray that you would get into the life. That the Holy Spirit really minister to them. Allow them to confess their sins to you. And I pray that Lord, you would draw them to yourself and allow them to really grasp the fact that they are now right with God because they trusted you, Jesus, to be their Savior. And Father, I pray for each one of us here as, as time grow, gets closer and closer to the end, whether it's physically or whether we're waiting for the rapture to happen, we know that our time is short. And I pray that you would set up divine appointments. You would allow the Holy Spirit to prepare the hearts of the people that we may come in contact with. Prepare them, Lord, so that when they're with us, their hearts and their spirits are open to the word of God. And that, Lord, you now speak through us and give them what they need to hear and allow them to have their lives changed by the power and the gospel of Christ. Give us those opportunities, Lord. Help us to always be ready, as your word says, to give an answer to those who ask of the hope that we have within us. And I trust you to do it. We water, we plant, but you give the increase. So Father, I pray that we would water right, we would seed right, we would do everything right, and so that, Lord, your Holy Spirit can now do the work and save them. So Father, I commit this church to you, I commit those at home watching to you as well. Use us to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for the whistles this morning. You can leave those as you leave. No, take them all with you, actually.